We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the NBA Front Office Show. I am Trevor Lane. Find me over on Twitter at Trevor underscore Lane. I guess we have to call it X now. I guess that's a thing. Elon, what are we supposed to do? We call it X. We call it Twitter. I don't know. I'm at a loss. But you can also find me on Instagram as well as threads at Trevor Lane NBA. Today, I'm joined not by Keith Smith, who is by now he should be in the middle of the ocean somewhere. Fill it in. It's Ron Gutterman. Ron, how you doing? Doing great. You know me. I'm always excited to be uh, Keith's alternate on uh, on front office. Well, we always love love having you. Um, I kind of let me tell you this this short little story here. Uh, as just a this is Keith in a nutshell. So Keith literally has been talking for weeks now about how much he's looking forward to getting on the cruise ship and just shutting it down, like not paying attention to anything. He's been telling me over and over again that he old he is going to go back to 1995 and the way he's getting his sports news is when he catches the tv walking around on the cruise ship and he sees the bottom ticker on espn he does not want to be connected right so this sure. morning this morning i get a message from him and it's and it's keith and and he's testing to see if he can get text messages off while he's on the ship and sure enough it worked and he was relieved he told me okay I need you to be my source of NBA news. He hasn't even left yet. He's Gave just up. gotten on the ship and he's already tapping out on the idea of disconnecting. So now I have to, any big news that happens around the league. I'm now, I now have to text him to keep him in the know because that bottom ticker on ESPN is just not going to cut it. His phone, his phone showed no service one time and he completely panicked and he <laughs> so said, I can't, it. I can't do this anymore. I, I, I have to change my ways. <laughs> he's probably, you know, in the, 20 minutes it took him to get in touch with me. He's probably thinking, oh, God, Damian Lillard just got traded, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you haven't texted him, that means nothing's happening. So we're that, all good. That's right. That's right. And I haven't texted him. There's been some other news that's come out, but I don't, you know, I don't, I want him to relax. I don't want to bug him with like TJ McConnell Certainly. stuff, which is something we'll get into today. But if something goes on, something big happens, I can let him know that Damian Lillard is now with the Miami Heat or, or whatever happens. So I can get in touch with them. But but Keith did not last long on this quest to disconnect from the sports world. Yeah, I think I think that's uh I think he's for the better uh choosing to do this. Cause you know, disconnecting <laughs> sounds fun in theory, but I'll be honest, if I was on a cruise, there's no way I'd disconnect. I would find every possible avenue 
to stay connected to the sports world. Oh man. Oh, when I when I went on vacation last summer and uh, Patrick Beverly got traded to the Lakers like while mid vacation yeah. and I had that spotty connection, I was trying to to connect. That was yeah. It's it's not a fun time. It's the world we live in now. But all that being said, welcome in everybody joining the show. Uh, we will talk about the latest going on around the NBA. There are a number of different things that are happening right now. Make sure that you are subscribing to the NBA Front Office Show on YouTube. And don't forget to give us that five-star rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. All right, but let's get into some of the latest happenings around the NBA. And let's start here. There was a rumor going around last week that made Sixers fans who are already they're feeling a certain kind of way, right? We know James Harden is probably on his way out of town. He only wants to go to the Clippers. That's kind of a mess. We'll talk about that uh, in a bit. But there was a rumor circulated that made Sixers fans feel even worse that perhaps the opportunity to not get James Harden was available. Perhaps they could have got Tyrese Halliburton, who was at the time with the Sacramento Kings when they shipped off Ben Simmons. Instead, they wound up doing a Ben Simmons for James Harden deal, which put them in the predicament that they're in now. Uh, there were reporting. There's reporting coming from Mark Stein, however, that this is not factual. So Sixers fans can breathe a sigh of relief that a Simmons for Halliburton swap was never really something that the Kings were going to inter entertain. If it had been, Mike, could you imagine if the Sixers had Halliburton right now, Ron? Like they would be, they'd be sitting pretty. The Tyrese backcourt of Halliburton and Maxi would be. Oof would be something to behold in Philadelphia. So I guess you said Sixers fans can breathe easy, but I don't know that that's ever true in Philadelphia. <laughs> um, I, I think I think there's a constant state of tension. But yeah, this doesn't really make sense for the King. Like, if you think about the the rumor on the Kings side, like, Sabonis is way better for what they were trying to build. Mm -hmm. Simmons never really made a ton of sense. So the, the, this being rumor, this being a rumor and kind of being pointed out as not true at all, uh, it does make a lot of sense, given I just don't see how the Kings would ever want Ben Simmons over DeMontis Sabonis. Tyrese times two would have been so nice in, in Philly. It could have been so nice. But I, again, I, I agree. I don't see why the Kings would have wanted Ben It's to the point, we talked about this last week, Keith and I did. When I look at the Nets, I, I don't factor Ben Simmons into the equation. Like I, I Like most of the time, I have to remind myself he's on the team. Because I don't factor him into the equation at all when I'm looking at their roster, at their rotations. And I hope he changes that and proves that wrong. But what a disaster that would have been had the Kings wound up entertaining a swap like that instead of doing what they did and then light the beam and, and all that kind of stuff. That beam would remain dark most of the time had they, the had they done that kind of deal. collecting dust right about now. <laughs> instead of light the beam, it would be clean the beam. Please <laughs> get the dust rag. Uh, so uh, this whole James Harden situation, there's uh, some rumblings around the league of people who are, are saying, you know, this is this is not a great look for the NBA, just in general. Harden demanding a trade or asking for a trade. This is what the third trade he's asked for. People look at it as this is the third team that he's kind of quit on here. Um, how do you approach this from a league perspective some people are offended and saying there's something the league needs to do about this and they need to stop this other people look at it and say well i mean i guess he'd rather have the guy ask for a trade than just leave in free agency so where where do you fall on all that you know it's tough because i think um as long as teams have the right to unilaterally trade players at their will uh i i believe that players should have the right to unilaterally request trades at their will um, just because I think that's the only way to keep it fair. Uh, because 
you know, what, what Dame is doing and what James Harden are doing, I do think is a little unfair to the team in terms of like, they're not going to be able to get the value that they could have gotten, um, you know, if they didn't request a trade only to one team. So maybe there's something you could do in that where, hey, like, uh, if you're going to request a trade, you have to be willing to be traded to at least a certain number of teams so that the mm-hmm. team maintains some leverage. But outside of that, you know, teams pretty much have so much power in terms of the the way that they can trade players and the way that they can go about their business that I think it's only fair that that players have that same right and that same power. Yeah, I think that the... I agree with you that the issue is when players... So I, I guess there's there's two qualifiers I think that that become a problem, and I, I in general I don't have a problem with players asking for trades. I prefer that. I would rather a player ask. I mean, this is coming from Ron. You know, with the Lakers side of things, we got burned by Dwight Howard back in the day. I I wish Dwight Howard had asked the Lakers for a trade midseason. They could have recouped some assets. They could have got something for him. Instead, he walked away. They got nothing for him, and it set the franchise back. Imagine what they could have done with the assets they could have picked up in a Dwight Howard trade. Now, you can say the team should have seen it coming and all that kind of stuff, but the general idea is I would rather, if I'm a GM of a team, I'd rather my star player comes to me and says, hey, you know what? I'm not going to stick around next year. Trade me and get what you can, and then you at least get something so your team just isn't less left so damaged as when a player just walks away in free agency, particularly if you're not a team that's going to have cap space after that player leaves. You can't even look at it and say, well, now we have cap room. No, you don't even get that. So that's where it can be a real killer. But on the flip side, I think the, the problem is where two things happen, where number one, the player says, I will only go to this team, and I understand why players would want to have a say in where they wind up and I don't fault them for that but it's the second piece when the when the team receiving the player uses that leverage to force the team that has the player to trade them for nothing and greatly damage their franchise in the process look at what happened to the Wizards with Bradley Beal now that was their own fault for giving him a no trade clause but that team got annihilated by Bradley Beal by that whole situation with the Suns, right? They got nothing for him in return, right? Got a bunch of second round picks. Maybe they'll turn that into something, but for their best player, and it's because he could only go to one place and the Suns were able to use that leverage in order to give them an extremely low return. I look at the Anthony Davis situation and think, okay, that's totally different because they got, quote unquote, a haul, right? Anthony Davis said, I only want to go to the Lakers, but the Pelicans were still able to get a really good package of young players and picks. If you're able to recoup value, I don't have a problem with it. What I don't like seeing is teams put in situations where they have to take these insanely below market value deals. And then the, that franchise is devastated by the player asking out. I think that's, that's where I draw the line and that's where it becomes problematic for the league. Yeah. And I I think if, if that's the issue, the, the way around it is, a no trade clauses are kind of a thing of the past already. Yeah. Like full no trade clauses are pretty much a thing of the past anyway. Um, but I also think like in the Damon Harden situation, you know, if there was a rule that stated, "Hey, when you request a trade, you can be traded anywhere, but you can't request only one team. If you want to request a, a team within your organization, you have to request like you know a minimum of five teams, sure. a minimum of seven teams, like." there can't just be, oh, I'll only play for the Miami Heat. I'll only play for the Los Angeles Clippers because that's when that stuff happens. So if Dame goes out there and says, or, you know, if a report is out there 
Uh, Dame's preference is to play for the Miami Heat, but would also be willing to play for the, you know, the Houston Rockets, this team, this team, that team. Then at least, even if the Miami Heat are the preference, if the Heat call the Blazers and say, hey, here's our low ball offer, they can be like, no, because we can trade him anywhere, but he also is cool with playing for these six other teams. So we don't need you to make a deal. Now, if you want to up your offer, if you want to find a third team, if you want to do whatever, go ahead, but the work's on you now. And, and I think I think that's what kind of is sort of the way it needs to go because it shouldn't be on the team trading, trading away the generational player to have to do all the work in getting value back. They're the ones that have the valuable player. They should not have to do all the work as well to get value out of him. It should be on the team that wants the player. Well, and the problem you run into, though, is technically the trade request never happened, right? Technically, because they yeah. can't if they, if they can't publicly make a trade request. Yeah. Request. So if you do that, you're getting fined. But I hear what you're saying. Yes, if there was a way to at least because we've got. I mean, what is it? Dam- Damian Lillard's agent is running around telling every team you're going to be trading for an unhappy player. Don't trade for him. You know all this sort of stuff, and that that's not uncommon around the league. But it just puts the incumbent team, and I think more importantly, the fans in a bad situation. See, people look at this and they. And they say, oh, are you really going to side with billionaire owners over millionaire players? Is that really what you want to do? Really? No, it's not about the players versus the owners. It's about the fans. The fans are the ones who really get damaged when their team that they love, that they support, is forced to trade away their most valuable player, their star piece, for pennies on the dollar because they're demanding to go to only one particular team. So it's that type of situation. And maybe there's workarounds that you can create. Um, and we've certainly seen it go the other way. Look at the haul Utah got for Gobert. Look what they got for, for Donovan Mitchell, right? We've seen it go the other way too. But it's when star players wind up forcing their way out and it gets messy and they wind up having to be traded for pennies on the dollar. And those fans are then left with a team that for years is trying to recover from that. That, I think, is the unfortunate part of of stuff like this happening. And we'll see. Right now, Harden is saying, I only want to go to the Clippers. Um I guess he could have gone to the Clippers if he wanted to. He could have been a free agent, could have signed for a veteran minimum. But he wanted to get paid. He wants the money and to go where he wants to go, which is what we're seeing in the NBA today. And uh, it didn't get addressed in the CBA. So this is going to be the way of the world for what, however long the new CBA goes for. I think it's another five years or so. Yeah. And, and I think like there's ways around this too where like, you know, if you remember the Paul George trade saga, his preference was the yeah. Lakers publicly. Yep. Like he wanted to go to the Lakers. But he never said or there was never reports that I won't play anywhere else. It was, I want to go to the Lakers, but I'm going to play basketball. And I feel like on the player side, that probably needs to be more of the sentiment of, I want to go here, but I'm going to play basketball at the end of the day. Which, by the way, I think for both Dame Lillard and James Harden, I think that's true. I don't think either of those guys is really going to hold out or like, not play for a team that they get traded to. I, I think I think they're going to play. They just would prefer there, and they're using this this you know end all be all as a leverage tool. Did you see the CBA rule that I didn't know existed? I believe it was Eric Pincus who unearthed this. Um, that essentially, if Harden just held out, the year wouldn't count for him. Essentially, if he just never showed up, yeah. Is it similar to the Joel Embiid rookie season that he lost? Ben Simmons rookie season that he lost? Where It's it's in the sense that essentially he would become uh, restricted. 
he would become a restricted free agent. He'd be limited in where he could he could wind up going to. I'm seeing if I could pull up the exact uh, the exact article, but it was interesting the way that it all works. It's players that only have one year left on their deal. The NBA essentially didn't want players who were going to just sit out for the year of their their remaining year of their deal and then go hit free agency. Their um, incumbent team would still have uh, control in the situation. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. That's... An interesting thing that I I'm sure James Harden and his agent should probably learn. Well, but that's the thing. Like, even if, and again, I, I need to dig into the details of exactly how this would all work. But um, even if that's the case, and there's some type of protection, we've also seen James Harden physically show up and play. You know, like yeah. It, it, I mean, James Harden, <laughs> those, like those I, way seasons. back in the day, Vince Carter did it, but. Yeah, James Harden. We we saw him with Houston at the end there, where he was playing, he was on the court, but it was not, it was not good. Yeah, I mean, this is a very nuanced issue that you know. I mean, we had players literally willing to put on weight and not care, uh, just to prove their point that they wanted to be traded. But yeah, I, I think somewhere in there is a compromise that allows teams to continue doing business the way they do business, allows players to continue doing business the way they want to do business, but doesn't screw over either party yeah yeah and we'll see we thought there was going to be reform coming in the new cba didn't wind up happening um so we'll see where this all all ultimately heads uh do you think harden finally ends up with the with the clippers that's the way it's going to go i think he stays in philly i think if i had to okay. guess at this point i think he stays in philly i think the clippers don't like what are the clippers offering here like th- this is not you know, as as funny as funny as the tweet that says who's stopping this lineup, and it's Russell Westbrook, right. James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and Marcus Morris, or, or some whoever it doesn't really matter. As funny as that tweet would be, and as much as I would love that tweet, I just don't see it happening. I think he stays in Philly. You just think the Clippers don't have enough, or aren't willing to give up enough to go get him? Yeah, no. Okay. All right, we'll see. We'll see. All right, uh, the Mavs and the Pistons had trade talks. Uh, mostly centering around. Well, the Mavs have, the Mavs have had interest in Boyan Bogdanovich, which is not a surprise. A lot of teams have been interested in, in Boyan Bogdanovich in the past. This is again coming from Mark Stein. But what was interesting coming out of this, Killian Hayes was the Pistons were reportedly looking to move him in order to free up some minutes in their backcourt, and so that's where they started talking with the Mavs. 
But he noted that the Mavs are set on finding another center, on getting an upgrade there. They just re-signed Dwight Powell. They still have JaVale McGee to figure out what to do with him. They oh. traded for Rashawn Holmes, and they drafted Derek Lively. Is it just that none of those, assuming McGee, like the report was from Tim McMahon that McGee is not coming back, that they're either going to waive him or they're going to try to put him in a trade. So even if he's gone, is that a fair assumption for the Mavs that Rashawn Holmes, uh, you've got Derek Lively and Dwight Powell, none of those three is exciting enough and they need to get an upgrade there? I mean, at this point, I when, when, you know, look at the Pistons, I don't really know what they have that's considered an upgrade. Um you know, that, that the Pistons would be willing to trade. Um, I, I don't really see how, if we're talking Mavs and Pistons, um, that would work. But I, I think the center rotation in Dallas is fine at this point. Derek Lively, Rashawn Holmes, uh, Dwight Powell. Like, I think that's fine. I think that'll get you where you need to go. Derek Lively is, if he develops correctly, the right type of center that they've been looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, I like the fit there. I don't know that the Mavs need to get too crazy to get a center, especially because when I look at the options out there in the league that are probably available, I just don't see any of them moving the needle the way that the Mavs needed to. Yeah, that's that's the issue, right? Is that they're not guys that are going to um, particularly get them to where they want to go. And that's, you know, they went and signed JaVale hoping that he would wind up being that, you know, that screen setting, rim rolling threat, lob threat for Luka. It just didn't quite work out. Lively, you know, he's going to take some time to to get ready. So, and not necessarily a huge surprise, but I don't know what's really out there. Like, who do they target? I guess Clint Capella. Maybe that's that's an option they turn to. I, I don't see I don't see the Hawks trading Clint Capella at, at this point. I think um, I think with Clint Capella, the the he's too necessary in Atlanta. Like, I don't I don't uh, you know if Atlanta's going to keep rolling with the Trey Young Dejounte Murray thing. Like, they need a rim protecting big. Um, and outside of Clint Capella, they don't have that. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So it'll be interesting to see what Atlanta does, if they're able to do something there, um, if they even want to move Clint Capella, and if the Mavs, who do they find at the center position if uh, not any of those guys? You know, we were talking about beforehand, there's this guy, Christian Wood, that's still out there that Dallas could sign if they wanted. They could pay him more. They could but, pay him whatever they wanted. They could give him. They could give him whatever they want. Max him out. Max, max him out. Max out Christian Wood. Should that you know from our Lakers side of things, we have so many Lakers fans who are clamoring for Christian Wood to sign with the Lakers for the veteran minimum. I get it's different when it's a veteran minimum, right? But the fact that the Mavs are still looking for a big, and they've got rights to Christian, like Christian Wood is sitting right there. And that they're they're going, well, we really need a big. And he's like raising his hand going, I'm right here, guys. Can't hear you. Can't hear you. They're just looking right past him. Should that should that be like telling of what we should really expect out of Christian Wood, regardless of where he signs? Yeah, I mean, I don't want this to become a Lakers podcast because that's not what the people come here for. Sure. But, but if we're already doing the thing, uh, I would definitely say that uh, it should be a sign. And it's probably something that, I and a couple other people have been warning about on the Lakers Nation channel, which is that like Christian Wood is probably not the answer to the problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and and to be fair to Christian Wood, I think the reason the Mavs, you know, he might be waving his arms and the Mavs are saying, nope, can't see you, can't hear you, out of sight, out of mind. I think the reason that might be happening is that Christian Wood, as we saw last year, solves none of their problems. It's not that he's not good. It's that 
he he doesn't solve their issues. He doesn't really defend super well. He he's not really the type of center that they need. Derek Lively is more that type of center. Rashawn Holmes is more mm-hmm. that type of center. And so Christian Wood is kind of like a non a not necessary part. Um, and so the Mavericks are probably saying like, we want someone who fits what we do, not, you know, a, a Christian Wood because we saw how that goes for us. Um, so I, I think that's more of it. So if you're a Lakers fan who's still clamoring for Christian Wood, I would say that's your saving grace. Uh, but I would also tend to believe that like, if a guy that is talented is available and no one wants him except for like one team, that's probably not a good sign about that one player. Yeah, there's there's usually a reason a reason for that. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. You know, Ron, I've referenced this a few times. You said this to me at Summer League, actually. And I've, I've actually made reference to this on a few shows. That in general, one NBA team can do a dumb thing. But the entire league tends to get it right. When a, the entire league is passing on a player or saying this is a player's value, they tend to be correct. And, and again, I don't. I would be excited if, or if the Lakers got Christian Wood. There's a number of teams that could potentially get him, though. Um, but this could be one of those situations where the entire league saying, nah, we're not interested unless it's for a minimum. There's probably good reason for that. Yeah, I, I think the collective mindset is is good. I think the collective mindset of the NBA is generally good. Obviously, teams make mistakes, but but the, the general collective thought process is closer to correct. So, you know, we, the, the context we were talking about that is with Dwight Howard, mm-hmm. you know, if Dwight Howard, if all 30 NBA teams are saying, this is not an NBA player anymore, it's probably cause he's not an NBA player anymore. And that's okay. It's not a big deal. It uh, happens to everyone at one point or another in their careers. Um, but that's just kind of the way it is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Uh, I did find, that obscure rule that I talked about with the James Harden thing. So I found it. It was coming. It actually came from Zach Lowe. Came from Zach Lowe. So here's what it is. And I think, because this may matter for this James Harden situation. We'll see. Said there's there's an obscure clause in the CBA that says a player who is in the last year of his contract, uh, who withholds his playing services for more than 30 days after the start of the last season covered by his contract, shall be deemed to have violated his contract. And such a player shall not be a veteran free agent and shall not be entitled to negotiate or sign a contract with any other professional basketball team. Notice it doesn't say in the NBA, any other professional basketball team, unless and until the team from which the player last played expressly agrees otherwise. So that means that if he doesn't show up, the... 76ers could stop him from playing professional basketball anywhere else. Oh man, no more get ready to learn Chinese buddy memes. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, that's probably a good rule. Um, and I imagine the Sixers, I, I don't know if you know this about Daryl Morey, but I, I have a feeling he would probably not let James Harden play basketball <laughs> if James Harden decided to do that. I mean, that's that's fast. And, and again, I don't think it matters a ton because James Harden can show up and still not really be there. He's very, he, he's shown the ability to do that, but that, I mean, that's a nuclear situation that we just, we don't hear of really in the NBA very often. Yeah. And, and I so. don't, I don't see James Harden taking that route again. I, no. I think, I think the conversations happening behind closed doors are probably closer to let's figure out a way to get you back and play out the final year of this deal. And then we'll figure out something, you know, when you're a free agent, 
do a sign and trade, do something. I don't know. That's probably the conversation. Mean, I'm sorry, tampering. They are not talking about a sign and trade. Sorry. No, they would not uh, discuss that. Does <laughs> not happen. That, that's probably closer to the conversation, other than I doubt James Harden actually holds out. He he doesn't James Harden does want to play basketball at the end of the day. Uh, and he's very, very good at it. And so I think he will, if I had to guess, is back in a Sixers uniform. All right. Uh, the Suns are interested in a TJ McConnell trade. Only problem is they don't have anybody that they can trade. <laughs> they they literally, they signed so many players that aside from what, DeAndre Aiden, Devin Booker, and Kevin Durant, they have to wait until December 15th to trade anybody. Not to mention, they, they would have to stack up a few minimum salaries to even trade for TJ McConnell. McConnell, meanwhile, is reportedly hoping to stay in Indiana. But um, but nonetheless, the Suns are interested in potentially trading for TJ McConnell. Just kind of funny, when you look at their roster, they literally don't have anybody that's trade eligible outside of those guys that I, that I listed. Yeah, the Suns are interested in a TJ McConnell trade, and the CBA is not. The, is not <laughs> CBA says no. Trade. You will uh, not be doing that. Hey, maybe on December 16th, the Suns will trade Eric Gordon, uh, Josh Akogi, and one other of their 13, 12 minimum players. Uh, maybe they'll trade three of them for TJ McConnell. That's the funniest part is they can't legally even do it right now. But even when they can, they have to stack three players to get a $9 million player. That's because, because a second thing is they can't salary match in a trade above 110% because of the new second apron. Right. So they have to be within a 110% salary match, which means they literally need to stack three players to get one eight and a half million dollar TJ McConnell, which is just so funny to me. Um, this that kind of leads us into our final topic here, the luxury tax rules. Uh, one exec recently called them crippling in a piece by Tim Bontemps of, of ESPN. And then, he, But on one hand, you could say, well, they're crippling, but you also have the Suns, the Celtics, right? The some of these other teams have just said, well, we're going to go for it anyway. And we're just going to use this kind of grace period year to stack up our roster with as many salaries as we can. And then when the more punitive uh, punishments come down next summer, we'll have already kind of built out our, our roster. And so that's what they're doing. So do you agree with the assessment that the luxury tax rules taken all together are crippling for teams? You know, I would probably say the only the only teams that I would put in that category are the teams that were very deep into the luxury tax. And then they implemented this rule and basically said, you have 365 days to ha figure out how to get below the second apron or you're screwed. Like, I, I think those teams are probably suffering the worst of it. And I do, you know, in a sense, that kind of sucks because... Mm -hmm those teams are there because they had ownership that was willing to spend and willing to do whatever it took to, to put a good product on the floor. And like, in my personal opinion, they should be commended a little bit for that. Um, and so it sucks a little bit that those teams are now basically told, Hey, you got a year, otherwise you're yeah. screwed. You're going to, all your first round picks are going to be 30th. Uh, you know, it, there's a lot of stuff that comes with it. I would say for the, the general team though, like I'm really only talking about four or five teams. If you take away those four or five teams, I don't really see this as as that that crippling. Um, I, I really see this as more of a like it is a bit of a warning, but you can you can build a really good team with one hundred and eighty two million dollars, which is uh, the second apron is one eighty two point five or one eighty two point eight. 
something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you can build a really great basketball team on $182 million. Now, uh, see, I, I feel bad. Like, I don't feel bad for like the Suns because they knew what they were getting into. Like they made these decisions like, hey, we're going to trade for Bradley Beal. And I don't fault them for trading for Bradley Beal, but they knew what the punishments were going to be, right? They they were fully aware. It's the teams that built up everything and then suddenly, oh, wait, these rules are coming in and now we have to pivot. That's a difficult thing to do. And the point the, the article was making was, well, like the Warriors, they rid themselves of Jordan Poole, which maybe they were going to do anyway, but... They moved Jordan Poole. The Celtics didn't match on Grant Williams, right? Like stuff like that. We're already the Clippers had to let Eric Gordon go. We're already seeing them have to make decisions because of how well, as the article said, how crippling the luxury tax can be. And so in that sense, I get it. But I also understand that the NBA doesn't want teams to doesn't want at some point in the future a team to just be able to spend their way to a championship. They don't want that to be a thing. They don't want to turn into baseball where one team where you can have the haves and the have nots. One team's just got way more money than everybody else and they can have a stacked roster and other teams are going to have a fraction of that. They don't want to see something like that happen. They want more parity. They got a taste of parity this year, particularly in the Western Conference, and they liked it. They liked it a lot and they want more of it. So yeah. I don't know what the salary floor is exactly. I think it's like something a little bit above a hundred million. Yeah, uh, I want to say it's ninety percent of the cap, which is at one hundred and thirty-five, I believe. Anyway, it's up there. It's like one fifteen, I, I think, something yeah. like that. And okay. so, what I like about these rules is that theoretically, and and this is what the league is kind of hoping for. One hundred twenty-two point four is the floor. One twenty-two point four. So. Every basketball team, pretty much all 30, within two years, is probably going to have their rostered, their salaried players, their their full roster, their 15-man roster, be between 122.4 and 182.8. That's mm-hmm. It's a $60 million range. And so, yes, there are teams that are going to be on the cheaper side and only have $125 million, and there are teams that are going to be pushing it right up to 182.8. But that's still parity. That's still a shot for everyone. And, you know, even though I don't like to penalize a team like the Warriors who built up a, through the draft, built up a very good core of championship players. They built a dynasty. And now it's like, hey, your dynasty's too expensive. Figure it out. Um, I, I do think that sucks for them. I think that's a temporary hurt. And in two to three years, I imagine, like, I imagine looking at this and being like, the fact that all 30 teams kind of are sitting within a $60 million range. Mm-hmm. I think is good for the league. And if that rare team wants to be adventurous and say, we're going to build a $200 million team because we have the ability to do it, then hats off to them for being able to figure that out. It just, it requires you to get more creative. Absolutely. It requires you to get very creative when you look at all the different things that are in place to prevent you. Essentially it's saying, look, if you want to build out your team this way, fine, but you're going to have a couple of stars and not much else because we're going to prevent you from having the kind of money and the kind of flexibility you need to go do anything else. And the Suns are testing that, and we'll see what if it ultimately works for them or not. The Suns, I think the floor is very, very low. The ceiling, of course, is very high. We'll see. I think health will be very important for, for them. And there'll be a, a case study in terms of whether or not the NBA did enough to prevent super teams from forming. Um, if the Suns are not successful, then they'll be looked at as a cautionary tale. If they are successful, maybe we see more teams try to uh, try to push that boundary. I just wish I wish there was some way, like you said, to protect teams that actually drafted their players. Like, 
have only half their salary actually count towards the cap or, or something like that for guys that you drafted. Although the unintended consequence would be that draft picks would become exponentially more valuable in, in a situation like that. But it I is it's a bad thing. I don't necessarily yeah. think that's a horribly. I think I think maybe instead of half, like you know, the, obviously we're just kind of spitballing ideas yeah. here. But what if there was a world where, hey, if you are if you are if you drafted a player and he's great and he's now worth a max, a super max, let's say, you can pay your player the super max, but in the in the salary cap in the, in your cap sheet, it will only count as a regular thirty five percent max instead mm-hmm. of a forty. So you you have the right to pay your player more than anyone else, and it will count the same towards your cap as it would as for any other team. Yeah, that could ease the burden a little bit, just to yeah. give you some kind of advantage, so I'll you don't, so you don't see like because I could see. I mean, like look at the Thunder, right? At some, they've got a bunch of really good young players. They have a ton of draft picks. In fact, so many picks that. Like they've got, I think, 20 players still under contract. There's going to be like three or four good young players that they're going to have to cut, right? And that's just their own roster building. But at some point, those guys are going to have to start getting paid, especially if they're successful. So I would hate to see a situation where, say, OKC, two, three, four years from now, suddenly all these guys are getting paid, right? Chet's getting a new deal, right? We've already got SGA's got a new deal, but... Um, the the Jalen Williamses are getting new contracts and and on and on. Uh, Giddy's got to get a new deal, right? And suddenly they're having to trade somebody away because of these penalties, even though it's a guy they drafted and developed. I think that's the situation that I would like to see avoided. Otherwise, I think I'm okay with everything else we've seen. Yeah, and, and so I think again, it's just going to require teams to get creative, and I'm sure. You know, luckily for, well, not super luckily for OKC, but by the time they have to make all those decisions, we may be nearing a new CBA window anyway, because I think it's That's 2027. True. So maybe maybe they'll get to that point and be like, no, we want to change every, like, we got to change it again, because we don't want to pay $300 million for this team and get penalized for drafting super well with our 150 picks. Yeah, that, that could be. I did, I thought, my initial thought was the NBA went pretty far with these rules that they put in the new CBA. And then we saw teams build out regardless of them. Uh, we'll see when the, when the penalties come in, what I don't want to see restricted are trades. I think that's not good for the league dropping, overall. I think dropping from 125 to 110 that's a uh, lot. In the salary match is a little punitive. Yeah. I think it's a little much. I'll tell you, uh, you know, uh, I know Keith, you and Keith have talked about, uh, or you, you've had Eric Pincus on the sports mm-hmm. business classroom. Um, I know that, you know, we, we did our mock deadline this year. I was helping out with, with the program and those teams that were, were co- close to the second apron. It was, it was a hindrance. It was a hindrance to them. And obviously it's not their money. So it's not, they, you know, they want to spend more, sure. but it's a hindrance. And so, you know, we saw it kind of on a personal level working, working together of like, you see the type of impact this can have on a roster build, but then you look at a team like the Lakers or you look at a team like Boston and you say, Hey, they manage to build really deep, uh, well-rounded rosters that make sense on paper, and they did it without worrying about the second apron. Like, they're good. Yeah. So uh, it, it is doable, and I think the important thing to know is that it's doable, and you like there's no need to be like afraid of a second apron because you can build a team before $182 million. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely can, as long as you use those resources wisely. That's the key. That's the key. All right, well, Ron... That was great. As always, whenever you and I do a show, 
I always think in my head, okay, it's going to be about 20 minutes or so. And then I could think, nope, double it. Cause Ron and I get going on this stuff and, and here we are almost at the 40 minute mark, but, uh, but this was great, man. Thank, thanks for coming on here. Yeah, of course. Happy, happy to uh, be the alternate. And I hope, uh, I hope Keith's just having a grand old time and is not nervously waiting by his phone for texts from Trevor That's Lane. right. That's right. I should just, you know what I should do? Oh, this would be so mean. I should just text him the eyes emoji. <laughs> oh no. Do it. <laughs> do it wherever, whatever time zone he's in right now. Uh, just send it at like 10 p.m., like 10:30 p.m. Right when he's settling in. Right yep. when he's settling in for the night. Give him the eyes emoji and just uh, oh, no. let him let him and then turn off your phone. <laughs> that would oh, that would be so mean. So mean. All right. All right. We will let Keith relax. I won't do that. It would be kind of funny, though. But It would be fun. Right. I hope he's enjoying his trip. <laughs> I hope he's having a great time. But thank you, everybody, for joining us. Make sure you do subscribe to the NBA Front Office Show uh, YouTube channel. And, of course, don't forget to follow us over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is you listen to podcasts. Till next time, see you, and stay safe.